There we are. All right. Sorry, my name is Luke Thomas. Welcome to the live chat. Today is, uh, let's see, uh, the 12th. Hey, look at that. I even guessed it. Wednesday, November 12th, uh, 2014. Thank you for joining me today on the docket. Let's see, we've got UFC 180 talk. We've got Vanderlei Silva weird Bellator talk. I don't know what you want to call that. We've got uh, the Bellator 131 event itself on Saturday. We've got World Series of Fighting as well. We've got Rumble versus Alexander Gustafson. we got a whole lot to talk about in an hour and a half to do it. Get your comments, get your questions, your bitches, your gripes, and your smart-ass remarks in on MMAfighting.com. You may also tweet me at SBNLukeThomas, or you can email me Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. Thank you for joining me on this lovely day. One last request, and we shall uh, get this going. What is happening here? Don't save. Here, thank you. All right. Um, don't save. Here we go. One last request, as you know how this goes, when you hear that sound, someone made a comment by the way, because if you saw my thing I did, Luke Thomas is pissed, that I made a comment about IPAs, and someone was like, this is the dude who drinks Diet Dr. Pepper. I only drink this because I try not to have too much coffee, and this has a fair amount of caffeine. It's not as if I think it's delicious. Like, I wouldn't recommend this on the basis of taste to others. Anyway, when you hear that sound, please get on social media. Get on Facebook. Get on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Google+, Vine, whatever else is on there. And let folks know you're watching. I would greatly appreciate it because I can't help spread the word uh, without your help. I can do a little bit on my end, but I need your end because you guys are much greater in number than I am. All right, with that said, let's get right to it, shall we? Uh, a couple of haters in here, as always. Nothing new to me. Um, first question, hypothetical scenario. Ready? Let's say an MMA fighter sells just as many pay-per-views as Floyd Mayweather and is pretty consistent in doing so. Would it be a huge controversy if he didn't get at least in the range of Floyd Mayweather money? Um, what prerequisites does an MMA fighter need to have to get Mayweather money? I know Mayweather pretty much has his own promotion, so he gets a lot of the revenue and he has to deal with the Showtime MGM Grand. He has a deal with Showtime and MGM Grand as well. Just wondering what an MMA fighter has to do in order to get the kind of money that Mayweather does. I don't know how... I, it's actually an interesting idea. Because if, let's say, Mayweather sold... I think he sold something like 2.5, 2.3, 2.4 um, for the Canelo pay-per-view. Let's say an MMA fighter did that. Now, certainly, if a UFC fighter did that, they'd be very well compensated. But would they get the, what, $40 million plus that, that Mayweather got? Upwards of close to 70 if you include other things. Um, the answer is no. They wouldn't. And it's very funny you mention that because we live in a world where some MMA fighters can get, uh, in terms of pay-per-view sales, what some boxers can get, but it's typically at a range where the boxer might make more, um, but it doesn't disturb us because these are still relatively achievable numbers. We understand that on the MMA side, it's a handshake between the partner, excuse me, between the fighter and the promoter, and so together they work to make a successful pay-per-view. Um, but if one was doing that kind of numbers, they would be well compensated, but they wouldn't be getting that. Understand, though, that um, you know, Mayweather is a very unique circumstance. One, as you mentioned, he has a deal with the MGM Grand, so he has to keep going back there. I don't know if he has to go back there every time. There might be some uh, uh, clauses that allow him to go elsewhere, but basically he has a, he has a deal with them. And so um, they pay him just to promote there. But moreover, Mayweather gets a cut of everything. He gets a cut of closed circuit. He gets a cut of the pay-per-view share. He gets a cut of... Dude, he gets a cut of concessions. He gets a cut of food concessions. You can't buy a hot dog at a Mayweather event without him getting a cut. 
So he really takes from every source of revenue that there is. Um, there's no MMA fighter on the planet that's going to get a deal like that, at least not one that I can foresee. So no, they wouldn't make as much. Now, whether that'd be embarrassing, I don't know, because on the one hand, you could say, well, look, these two guys sold equivalently. What is Mayweather doing that he deserves this much more? Um, that would potentially be problematic. But on the other hand, you know, we have fans saying, well, Nate Diaz got 60 to fight, 60 to win. Isn't that enough? I think if a fighter was making, say, half of what Mayweather got, let's say $20 million, would fans really cry on their behalf? Irrespective of whether that's supposed to be what his actual earning potential is or whether there are rivals in other combat sports generating that kind of revenue. Now, also understand, you know, Mayweather does a lot of, a hell of a lot of promoting. UFC would sort of be able to really sell a fight based on the, the value of their brand. I, you know, maybe they shouldn't make quite as much as Mayweather makes. Um, but there'll probably be a fairly large disparity at that point. Understanding also, in fairness, Mayweather's deal is just like there's no deal like it. There's no, there's no one like Mayweather, you know. So in some sense, it makes it's understandable that he would have a non, a, a deal that you simply couldn't match under most extreme of circumstances. I mean, it's really he's the king for the most part these days in combat sports. Um, all right, let's just go ahead and crack this thing open, shall we? Vanderlei Silva usually have a pro fighter stance when it comes to picking the fighter side over a promoter. I really hate that characterization, but let's keep going. In Vanderlei's case, where do you side? Do you want to see the UFC release him? Or since Vanderlei signed the contract and got a lifetime ban from the NSAC due to his own actions, he's got no one to blame but himself. It's a difficult situation. Here's my view, and I'm glad someone asked it. I'm glad we're getting right to it. I do believe the UFC should release Vanderlei Silva. And here is, here is my reasoning. Um, with that lifetime ban... He has no value to them. I'll, I'll explain more in detail. But as it stands, they can't use him for promotional purposes, at least not anytime soon. They certainly can't give him a fight. He simply exists in a space where he has no value. Um, now, you could say that, uh, well, he does have value to them. Because his value is keeping him from giving value to Bellator. To me, I have a little bit of an issue with that. Either Bellator is a competitor or they're not. right? And if we grant that they're not a competitor, and I think in many ways they are, and in many ways they're not. They're sort of an in-between space. But certainly we've heard from UFC that they're not really a competitor. Dana White told the Sports Business Journal he wouldn't, even, he wouldn't pay for anything over there. Not the rights fees for their library, not a contract, nothing. Okay, let's take him at his word. Um... If that's the case, and that's not, that cannot be a competitor. If there's nothing over there that you'd like, that's not a competitor, right? Um, and, in, and if you look at market share, I mean, UFC arguably has 90% or more of market share. I mean, it's difficult. Maybe it's, maybe it's sub-90, but it's pretty close to 90. Um, there's not much else out there than the market share of mixed martial arts that Bellator has. So it's hard for me to really view them as a competitor in any kind of real sense. And when you get down to the issue... Why is it Vanderlei fighting? Well, he made a bunch of mistakes, which he is atoning for, but the punishment handed down to not compete is an athletic commission issue. That was a punishment handed out by them. Now, if you want to say to me, well, Luke, let's keep him under contract while he claims he's going to go to district court and maybe get that lifetime suspension turned into a two-year suspension, okay, fine. They should hold on to him. That's fine. You can see that process out because you can then conceive of something of potentially using him in the future. I know he said he's retired. 
but you get the idea. It's still part of an ongoing process that's related to his UFC employment. The UFC are not his employers. They are his, legally speaking, clients, partners. He is an independent contractor. An independent contractor. He is similar to, from a legal standpoint, what your plumber is to you. Not exactly, but pretty close. For me, if I'm asking the question, or if I'm looking at it, we, we both agree that he can't fight for the UFC even if the UFC wanted to give him a fight. They have unbelievably bitter relationships. I have heard fans say, well, you keep him under contract with the UFC because um, you know, he, he went out and attacked him. Well, that's basically saying the UFC has a right to keep a guy under contract that they have no use for other than to um, uh, hamper him and another rival. In other words, for him opening his mouth and criticizing them. Now, maybe you're okay with that. I, I, I'm not quite comfortable with it. I'm not Personally, I'm not that comfortable with it. I think that um, it's true that if he had these issues, he probably could have spoken up before, although I've yet to see a situation where anyone, including George St. Pierre, speaks about any kind of issues in the sport that are problematic and fans go along with it. I haven't yet. Maybe St. Pierre got a little bit of sympathy, not much. Um, so I think that argument is pretty false, too, because when you actually do it under contract, they just tell you you're old or you have some other issue. And when you do it after the fact, they tell you, well, why didn't you do it beforehand? There's really no no comfortable space in which you can actually do that. So that's one problem. Um, the other problem is that I fail to understand what him saying those things has to do with whether or not UFC should keep him. The People are saying to me, I had a dis uh, an argument online, people were saying to me, well, he could go do seminars, he can own a gym, he can own 70 gyms. Mm, not really. These gyms are not the profit centers you think they are. He has one in Vegas, I'm sure it makes some money. I'm sure he has a decently comfortable life. But seminars aren't routinely done because they're, uh, they don't return that much money. And how is he going to open 70 gyms? Who's going to give him a bank loan? Right? That's not really going to happen. So my point is, it's not that he is you know, uh, hat in hand on the street corner begging for change. But doing seminars and things like that is well below what he could actually make even as a retired fighter not competing for anybody. Which, by the way, what we're talking about here is not competing for another organization. It is uh, fighting. It's uh, uh, doing promo work for another organization. Now, maybe that's someone might be robust. Look, and, and I also understand UFC has no obligation to release him. Certainly, Vanderlei signed this contract, and, he ha and UFC has a right to enforce it. But when you're asking them to enforce it, what are you enforcing? You're basically enforcing the punitive end of it. It, 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 it doesn't service Vanderlei in, in any capacity whatsoever. He is of no value to them anyway, though. So to keep it a guy that they can't use, strictly so someone else can't use them. Um, and what is the argument for that? Because he was mean to them? Doesn't he have a right to be mean uh, if he wants to be? I mean, I'm not saying I agree with half of what he said. I don't. I think he, cre he created a lot of these problems for himself. It's not that I have a ton of sympathy in that way. I'm simply saying if we granted the UFC cannot use him, and they can't. They can't put him in fights, and he's toxic at this point promotionally for their brand because they're the leading brand in the sport, then what do you do with him? You just keep him locked up? Right? I mean, I, I, I guess you could. I mean, they can. They're, it seems like they're going to, at least for the foreseeable future. But if I'm, if I'm asking myself, um, what is the fairest outcome to the parties involved, I think you release them. And I, and, I, and I look to, you know, Alvarez and Rampage, and you could say, well, those situations are different. And you'd be right. They're very different. Rampage was at the end of his contract. 
it expired, or at least it finished. He completed the terms of it. They offered him another one. He didn't want it. He went to Bellator. Alvarez thought he was at the end of his contract. Bellator thought they matched, and they took him to court, and then they settled. These are different situations, remarkably. I don't, I don't dispute that. I don't mean to say that these are all three of the same. Let me be absolutely clear about that. But I do recall, quite clearly, UFC brass saying they wouldn't hold a guy who didn't want to be there. If they don't want to be in business with you, why would you hold a guy? Again, it was under circumstances that were materially different. I, 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 am, I, want to be, I understand that. I'm very clear about that. But in some ways, this situation is not that dissimilar in the sense that you have a guy you can't use who doesn't want to be... They, can't, they could at least have given Rampage another fight if he wanted it. They can't even give one to Vanderlei. They can't even give him one. You know, and that's his fault why they can't give him one. That's completely his fault. He ruined everything in that sense. But materially, while Alvarez is at the end of his contract and Rampage is at the end of his contract, my only point is the following, is that if you cannot use a guy and you understand holding him is, uh, doesn't service you because you can't use him uh, and he doesn't want to be there and he's trashing you all the time, why would you hold on to him? I think we'd agree that they're holding on to him to prevent Bellator from using him. But we've also been told that Bellator is not a competitor. So something's not quite adding up here. And I, again, maybe they can say things publicly, oh, Bellator's not a competitor. And then in real life, they understand that if you give those kinds of opportunities to Bellator, they're going to exploit them. Fair enough. Um, you know, all the, Sometimes it's a media game that all the players involved, from Spike to Viacom to UFC to everyone else, they all have to play. The one thing I'll say about this is, if we, 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 again, he cannot be used by UFC, either promotionally or competitively. And so the question is, do they have a right to hold him? Contractually, yes. And understand, there's been plenty of contract law professors who've taken issues with different clauses involved in those in those uh, 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 Zufa contracts. John Snowden did a huge long piece on it where he even asked UFC about their perspective on certain clauses and talked to sports law professors and, con and contract and labor law professors about what they thought about it. And there were some, they had some issues about it. But the contract is what it is. He signed it. And they, they, they have the right to uphold it. I'm not saying that they are in somehow breach of it. But ethically speaking, um, it seems to me that holding him and then dramatically uh, impacting his ability to draw revenue outside of that, um, I don't know, because he had bad things to say about him, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with it. I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but if you're, if you're okay with the idea that you let guys go and they don't want to be there anymore, and you have a guy who is basically retired because he has to be, why wouldn't you let him go? Especially for someone who's a non-competitor. I don't know. Um, let's see. Are you ever surprised about the questions asked on the promotional malpractice live chats? It seems like you list a bunch of topics we're going to cover, but the Dalk Nation hive mind has totally different ideas they want answered. I don't mind at all that you guys have different topics. By all means, take different topics. I just list what's commonly available or what will hit on search, if I'm just being honest. UFC 180 is going to hit on search. Vandalay Silva is going to hit on search. It's going to get your attention. But in the end, I look to you to guide this. And if you guys want to talk about, um, you know, Vandalay Silva, we'll talk about it. If you want to talk about Armbar from the Guard, we'll talk about it. If you want to talk about Gina Carano or don't, it's up to you. you again, people are like, oh, you talk about this so much in your live chat. People ask me about it. That's what's going to happen. But no, I don't care. If you want to take it in a thousand different directions, by all means, I'm in favor of it. Best fight of the weekend, best card of the weekend. Um, best card is definitely UFC card. 
I know a lot of folks are really upset about it. I'm not saying you don't have a right to be. You know, the injuries did wreck it. But I'm still really interested in Ricardo Lamas and um, and Dennis Bermudez. It's an important fight for both of them. It's not really clear exactly what's going to happen. Although I'm sure some people have some clearer ideas than me. And I really, again, I know a lot of folks don't care about this, but one of my first sort of longer gigs that I had in mixed martial arts, I think it was 2006 when I did this, maybe seven, I can't remember anymore. There used to be a magazine called Real Fighter Magazine, and back in 06 or 07, and I think he was fighting the IFL at the time. I have to double check. Long story short, I did a feature called Next Big Thing, and it was on uh, Jake Ellenberger. And I remember talking to him back then and, and learning about his past as a, as a diver and a Marine and all this stuff. And, and it's interesting that he's had a long and very successful career in many ways, but this is sort of it, right? Like, if you can't beat Kelvin Gastelum, you're, that's kind of it for you as a career. Not that Kelvin Gastelum is some terrible fighter, it just sort of signifies almost a changing of the guard in some respect, you know. Uh, but if he can hang on, he can stay relevant, he can look for bigger fights. If he can't, he's going to put himself in a bad spot, so that's a really important fight. Um, and by the way, Gastelum, fair or unfair, is a huge betting favorite. Uh, I think he's like almost plus two, or minus 240, minus 260, something like that. Something crazy, so... There's a bunch of dogs here. Um, so that's interesting to me. But all the cards have decent fights, you know. Like, the, the great thing about this weekend is there's a lot of stuff that we don't care about. You guys are going to be, you know, I think sorely disappointed with the quality of uh, competitors in the Ultimate Fighter Latin America. But that's to be expected. It's a, it's a growth process. All right, fair enough. Um, but there's three great fights in that card. The main event, you know, being what it is for a UFC 180 is still pretty great. Um, I don't care at all about Ortiz versus Bonner. But like, like the rest of you, I, I have no real alternative but to watch. Uh, certainly, I care a lot about, uh, my, again, Michael Chandler, you want to talk about someone's back me against the wall, you dropped three straight, man, this was the face of the promotion. I thought he should have won the second Alvarez fight, I thought he should have won the second Brooks fight. If you go back and look at the scorecards, it was like a, the craziest scorecards that wound up getting him hoard in the first place. So that's, again, for the for the vacant, I mean, I know that Brooks is the interim title holder, but um, it's basically Alvarez's vacant title, right? Uh, that's huge. And then for fun, Schilling Manhoff is going to be kind of crazy. You know, I've seen Joe Schilling fight a lot, man. Um, he's, in my opinion, the better fighter of the two. But as we know, Manhoff can crack. And, 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 you know, I will say this about Joe Schilling. He's a bit of a slow starter. But by the end of the fight, he really can, he can bang you out. So the question for me is who wins? If, how, can Manhoff get him out of there quickly? It's certainly possible. But it, I think if the fight goes to the second round, it's going to be Schilling, who just who just blows them up. Anyway, a lot of fun fights. A lot of really fun fights this weekend. A lot to do. A lot to cover. Um, but a lot to be excited about, even with some of the things that we don't care about. Rockhold versus Jacare. Do you think the UFC will make the fight? Due to the timing, both fighters will likely fight again before a title shot. Who do you favor to win? Who do you favor to win before Rockhold's uh, win last weekend? You know what the problem was with that Vitor Belfort win over Luke Rockhold? Um, listen, was he on something at the time when they fought? I don't know. We can have that debate separately. And there should be one about that. I don't know if he was or if he was in terms of Vitor Belfort. Here's what I do know. What I do know is that the way in which Rockhold lost, like, I never root for guys hardly anymore. I mean, sometimes, the, you know, someone's emotional story will get to you. After all, we're human beings. But believe it or not, I, I, I try as best I can, and I fail, but I try as best I can to not pick this guy or that guy because they mean a lot to me or, or you know, their, their story compels me in some way. I try to remove myself. Um, 
But that, that win by Vitor Belfort was a little bit troubling, not because of maybe he had been on something or, or elevated levels of testosterone unfairly or whatever the case may be. But the loss made Rockhold look a certain way that he didn't deserve to look. In other words, I didn't care that Rockhold lost. If you lost, well, you lost. A better guy beat you. But the spinning heel kick in the first round, it made people think that Rockhold, well, was maybe not that good. Eh, you know, he's another one of these good middleweight guys. Not great. Fact of the matter is, Luke Rockhold is incredible. He is a super, super, super talented guy. And what was even more impressive in that Bisping fight was not just that he won by submission with the one arm guillotine and the hand planted, as impressive as that was. It was that if you go back and look at even the Tim Kennedy fight, but especially that first Jacare fight, there was almost a feral quality to Luke Rockhold. He would beat you through this buzzsawing kind of attack that was potent and, and, and won him fights, but you could tell was unpolished and wouldn't necessarily beat the best guys. He beat Bisping in a calculating way, with his mouth closed the whole time, without going crazy, sticking to the game plan, trying to win the exchanges in the way, in the way which they had game planned, only taking openings when he wanted to, or when it made sense. Uh, I should say. And, you know, going to the body, going to the body, going to the body, going to the body, and then duffed him up top, man. You know, that was pretty impressive. And then to go and finish the way he did And he showed his ground skills. Like, people made fun of Luke Rockhold when he was like, oh, I want to go against Keenan Cornelius. And I certainly would pick Keenan to win Gi or no Gi. But Luke Rockhold is no joke, man. He is no joke. Now, he's much bigger than Keenan in some ways. But you get the idea. Like, this wouldn't be the blowout that necessarily that some folks think it would be. Again, I, I would pick Keenan to win, but I pick Keenan to beat just about anybody. Um, very few guys I pick him to lose against. And so you get the idea. Um, Luke Rockhold is an incredible talent, and certainly Jacques Array has made a ton of improvements since the time that they fought the first in, in Strike Force. But I don't see how he beats Luke Rockhold. Luke Rockhold's takedown defense is incredible. His cardio was always good, and now he's not using it in ways that are inappropriate or don't make sense. Um, his striking has gotten better. And you know what's great about Luke Rockhold? Man, he has really turned into a finisher, man. Like, if he sees an opening, good luck getting out of that one, dude, because he is going to find a way. Give him, a, give him an inch on the ground, and you're going to get your neck snatched or your arm snatched. He is a talented guy. And so the only problem with that Vitor Belfort loss was it just, I think some fans got the wrong idea about how good he was. No, he's a badass. Vitor just had his number that day for whatever reasons you want to say he had it. But the reality is Luke Rockhold is a top contender in that division, and a title shot for him is inevitable. Should they match him up? I think so. Be a great measuring stick, really prove who belongs at the top of that, um, that, top of that title queue. But let it be known that the Vitor Belfort loss was damaging from an image standpoint when maybe it shouldn't have been, and I do think that the Bisping win was redemptive in many ways. Um, thoughts on Barrett. Was the initial hype on Wayne Barrett warranted? Thoughts on his performance Saturday? Just a poor performance or is Willness legit? Um, it's a good question. You know, my initial thoughts, and he's talking about glory, by the way. Wayne Barrett's this really good guy out of uh, New York. Came to kickboxing late. Um, you know, I thought he beat Joe Schilling in, at the uh, Glory Last Man Standing middleweight tournament, but be that as it may... Um, well, he did. I'm sorry. Sorry, I thought Joe Schilling beat him. Let me correct that. But, um, but uh, 
here's what I'd say about Barrett. Barrett is one of these guys who came from boxing. I've interviewed him a number of times. Um, Barrett's one of these guys that came from boxing and had. Um, well, God, now I can't remember who won that fight. I remember. This, I remember thinking the opposite. Hold on a second. Glory, last man standing. See how I can't remember anything? I slept so bad last night too. I mean, I know you don't care, but I'm just saying. All right, who won that? All right, Wayne Barry beat Bogdan Stoika. Uh, uh, Bogdan Stoika, I remember that. Yeah, and then Joe Schilling beat Wayne. Sorry, I had Wayne beating Joe. Yes, even though Joe won, and then Joe lost to Artem Levin. That's what happened. All right? Okay, and that was the rematch of Artem Levin from the previous Glory show that was in uh, Ontario that I went to. All right. Um, so he's a guy who came from boxing and picked up kickboxing later. I would actually liken him a little bit, a little bit, and maybe this might make you laugh, but I liken him a little bit to a Conor McGregor in the sense that he has a much more open style of kickboxing because he has better hands and he has a different way of composing himself in the ring. Willness is one of these sort of just forward Dutch guys. Willness is very legit. He's taken a lot of fights on short notice. He's fought a lot of tough guys. It didn't necessarily go that well for him. Not surprising that Wayne lost. I think Wayne was sort of beating guys he maybe shouldn't have beaten um, um, early in his career. And this was sort of a little bit of comeback to earth. But, yeah, maybe he had an off day. Maybe he had an injury. I, I, the jury is definitely still out on Wayne Barrett. And I like him a lot because he's a really he's a great guy, super smart, great in front of the camera. Um, and has this bit of a different, more creative style that I think Glory needs. Also, he's an American. That's good for their purposes as well. But... You know, you can't win them all, right? All right. Ryan Ford suspension. What are your thoughts on Ryan Ford getting suspended six months for failing to disclose an injury before going to a fight? I mean, on the one hand, I understand the commission has to save face. On the other hand, these guys have to fight to feed their families and or get the medical care that they need. Um, so the commission has to do what they have to do, but... To me, that seems overly punitive. I mean, they don't want to be in a position where you don't disclose something to them, and then something really tragic happens to you as a consequence, and then they're held liable. So I understand that they're in a they're in a tough situation. I don't really blame the commission for doing what they do. I don't really blame Ryan Ford for doing what he does. I just don't know what the answer is, short of some Bill Gates benefactor coming in and giving money to these guys to compete in a way where... They don't have to take fights to get medical care or pay, keep the light bills, uh, the, the light turned on in their home. Um, it's just a really tough, ugly situation, and it's it's fight sports, you know. It's there is no good answer. The, the, sometimes you come up here and you're like, oh, I have a good answer for this, and you say it. Sometimes you really bad answer for this, and sometimes you just have no answer. I I, I don't know. The commission can't allow guys to do that, and Ryan Ford had bills to pay. What do you want me to say, you know? True-false, UFC 180 does over 250,000 buys. I will say, gosh, I don't know. It's in Mexico, you know. Um, I'll say true. There's a little bit more buzz for it than I feel like for some other shows, even with that consideration in mind. Steve Miocic beats Junior Dos Santos. I will say false. Anderson Silva versus Nick Diaz will not happen. I will say false to that. UFC is not going to South Korea in 2015. That might be true. We'll see. Chris Weidman versus Luke Rockhold in 2015. I will say true. Brendan Thatch will go undefeated in 2015. I will say true. Luke Thomas is a guest on the Joe Rogan podcast in 2015. A boy can dream, right? 
As an Australian citizen, am I supposed to be an Anthony Parash fan? Because he fights on every card over here. Do you think this is the future for the sport where the local cards are just filled with local fighters? Is Parash or people like him really selling loads of tickets? Thanks. Um, they sold 10000 for the last show, which all things considered for a Fight Pass show. I mean, I know, um, you know, it doesn't air on Fight Pass in Australia, but that's how the UFC feels about it. It's a Fight Pass show. They're not... People always say... It's not for you, it's not. It's for them. But the reality is they have other shows that they have to build. Pay-per-view shows, big Fox shows. UFC knows if they give a bunch of those guys to Fight Pass. I mean, there's a reason why there's not title holders on Fight Pass. Right? They understand that they, they can't do that. They can't give all those resources to the sort of lower echelon of distribution for the pay-per-view buying audience. Um, but be that as it may, you don't have to be a fan of anybody you don't want to be a fan of. If you like Anthony Parash, you should support him. I think there's a lot of people out there who are like, hey, look at this guy in his early 40s. We like him a lot. Uh, and he's out there getting after it. You know, as other guys who are like, my God, you see what Ryan Bader did to him? Ryan Bader just, you know, uh, rode him like a saddle and then uh, threw him away. So I can understand that perspective as well. I'm not telling you to like or dislike Anthony Parash. It's up to you. But if you're wondering why it's filled with local fighters, well, that's the reason. Number one... All fight sports have that history. When you go to Mexico City, you want a Cain Velasquez on your card and other Mexicans on the sort of lower end of the card. This happens in boxing. This happens in kickboxing. This happens in, in MMA. You can't, you, yes, you can, there are exceptions to that rule, but the more local ties a card has, the easier it is to get publicity, the easier it is to sell tickets, the easier it is to do lots of things. So um, that will always be the case. What you're talking about is, I think what you're saying is a disproportionate amount where it's a lot of local fighters. Yeah, they can't give that many assets to Fight Pass shows. I know it airs on Fox Sports in Australia or whatever the case may be, but um, they want to give you a certain amount of entertainment, 10, 11 fights, maybe more, something in that ballpark. They can't give you 10, 11 guys who are going to be ranked in the top 10. They're going to give you a couple, and then they're going to fill the rest out with guys who have had some regional experience or um, have been in Ultimate Fighter Nations or, or things like that. So... Um, I would say it won't happen every time necessarily, but you should become, it should never come as a surprise. Jeez. Would you rather, with the intent of winning the match, would you rather grapple with Mark Hunt, your choice of gi, no gi, or have a kickboxing match with Ian McCall? I'd rather grapple with Mark Hunt in the gi. Um, that's the only place I could even conceive of having any chance to win. Let's see. What do you think of Anthony Johnson now that he's reinstated? You would think that the UFC matches him up with Gustafson sooner rather than later, which they're going to in January. Uh, what are your thoughts on the state of the UFC's light heavyweight division? Well, um, first of all, he's back. He's going to be competing against Alexander Gustafson in January. In a, in a stadium of sorts in Sweden. It will air on uh, Big Fox. And I think, the, I think the main card starts at like 2 a.m. or something in, uh, in Sweden. So that's going to be a late one. But um, I think that's the right move. If you looked at the rest of the division, there wasn't a lot of good options for him. You'd have to give him Fabio Maldonado if you wanted uh, Gustafsson to stay active while Rumble was sitting out. Um, or somebody he was clearly better than that you couldn't really use. Um, 
just wasn't a lot of great opportunities for him. I guess after OSP beating Shogun, you could have done that, but even then, that's not necessarily the best one. You wanted to give Gustafsson somebody. I know people are complaining. They're like, well, this kills off two contenders in, in, in one fight. I mean, yes and no, you know. Um, I don't think with the way the division works now, it's going to take a lot of guys a lot of times to get title shots in the way that it used to, maybe. You know, three good wins, which Anthony Johnson is certainly capable of doing if he doesn't win this Gustafson fight, seems plenty for folks to be like, okay, he may have lost to Gustafson, and this fight might be close, or he might beat Gustafson. But I just don't think that the road to hoe is quite what it once was in some capacities. Um, so there's that. And also, like, you, sometimes, listen, you got to fall on your sword a little bit. This is the fight that people want to make. This is the fight that these guys want to have. You, I, I get, this was no different than who gets the shot at Matt Hughes next, Frank Trigger, GSP. Those guys were two contenders. And then George St. Pierre Buss saw it through him. I always reference that fight because it was so important for his career. It was so important for that division, for that welterweight division. It was so important for the Matt Hughes-GSP rivalry. It was a lot of things. It was a lot of things. So listen, um, one of these guys is going to have to go, go back to the, the, the queue in some ways, but I don't think either of them are going to have that much trouble getting back to the line, front of the line, pretty quickly. Uh, if I did, I'd be. if it was like welterweight, I'd be a little like, eh. But, you know, we saw what Davis did to... to um, so we saw what Johnson did to Davis. We saw what Gustafson did to Jones. These guys are going to be hanging around the top of the division a lot. And then there's Cormier floating out there as well. Um, all of these guys are going to get their turns at the top. It's going to happen. Chael Sonnen is back, baby. Chael Sonnen just got hired by ESPN as their MMA analyst. Um, how do you think this changes ESPN's coverage of MMA and the landscape of MMA coverage as a whole in competition with Fox? Did Fox make a mistake in releasing Sonnen? I don't, uh, at the time, listen, Fox didn't fire him at the same time ESPN hired him. These happened independently of each other, right? And it happened in, in, in great space in between them. Now, maybe not as much as you had thought or would have preferred or whatever the case may be, but it wasn't like he was fired and then the next day, bang, they hired him. They waited four months and they waited until he had a podcast and sympathies that sort of rebounded, and maybe you had kind of forgotten because, hey, football season's going on, and I don't know, you had a child in the last four months, or you got married, or who knows, you moved on to a new job. You just, life sort of moves on in a way in four months, and you just sort of forgot about it all. And also that podcast, I think, was like rehabilitative in ways that folks haven't even considered. But uh, what do I think? Well, I mean, we'll see how they use him. They talked about using him on some of these marquee broadcasts, you know, Sports Center, to hype this stuff, and... For folks who may not look at like you could say, what does it matter about ESPN versus Fox? Dude, SportsCenter can get $4 million plus to watch that like routinely. People watch ESPN, man. It is the brand leader in sports, whether you like it or not. But it's weird, man, because they completely gutted their MMA department, you know? Um, they got one guy over there, Brett Akamoto, who's great, but he's basically by himself, you know? Ch Ch uh, Chad Dundas isn't there anymore. Chuck Mindenhall isn't there anymore. Franklin McNeil's not there anymore. Gareth Davis isn't there anymore. John Anik isn't there anymore. Um, now, Todd Grisham does some of this stuff for MMA Live, but that seems to be web only. So I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they're going to reinvigorate. Maybe they want to get that going again. We'll have to see what happens but uh, and how Chael Sonnen is used in that capacity. But I wouldn't anticipate necessarily a, a renaissance in MMA coverage, um, but maybe a return to a more normal medium. Also, I think this feeds into your theory of value dictates your punishment. Is this one more for the bad guy? Yeah, pretty much. Whatever else you think of Chael Sonnen, he's a talented broadcaster. ESPN saw an opening for him, and this is this is the path they took. Um, 
your perceived justice, excuse me, your actual justice is a function of your perceived value. That's it, man. And value is defined as not just what you can do for the broadcast, but whatever liabilities you hold. Understand, this is a company that has Ray, that has um, Ray Lewis out there doing football analysis. You know, Ray Lewis's history is hardly clean. Uh, Mayhem begging. Luke, I just came across a GoFundMe page Mayhem Miller created for people to donate to him. He has 2,000 out of a targeted 2 million, and he isn't even selling anything. What are your thoughts on this form of online begging? Is he that broke that he would resort to asking for donations from his loyal fan base? Or can you give him a job as a writer? I don't think we're hiring. Seems he has hit rock bottom. It's quite sad to see another tragedy in an upper class city. Well, it's always bad to see tragedies anywhere they happen. Uh, did you guys see the uh, South Park episode with the Redskins? Where it was, um, they basically lampooned the Redskins at the same time they were lampooning things like GoFundMe or um, Kickstarter where people invest and then the investors get no return on the investment itself um, and how it, you know, it's set up a system of doing nothing. Um, but I don't know if that's what you're asking about. You're asking about why fighters are begging for things. Mayhem has, through his own uh, fault or perhaps some form of mental illness, which I don't want to say is or isn't the case, but certainly seems to be, created some problems for himself and these guys don't make a lot of money. I know we all think they make a lot of money, but they don't. And um, I don't know what, to, we wonder, what do you want me to say? You know, it's just a terrible situation. But um, I don't really have any strong opinions about it. I, I hope he gets the help he needs. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Look, have you heard any rumors about Glory not resigning some of their top talents like Joe Schilling, Tyrone Spong, and a few others? Not a rumor. It's a fact. They haven't resigned Tyrone. They haven't resigned Joe. They haven't resigned Gokan Saki, their champion. Um, is the promotion having any form of money issues that you're aware of, or is this some form of strong-arm negotiating tactic? I don't think it's got anything to do with negotiating tactics, as far as I know. I mean, understand they don't like like let me know what they're doing, but remember they had an executive change in leadership. John Franklin is now the head of Glory. Um, he was one of the guys who ran the Road to Glory tournaments, and then was serving, I think, in an advisory capacity uh, for the longest time, and is now sort of running the organization. It took some took a while for that change to happen. And look, you know, you guys have to figure out what you want as fans. Because on the one hand, you get there and you say, oh, Viacom has all this money. Why don't they give Bellator more money and they can pay guys more and they can do more with it? And then you see situations like Glory, which was adequately financed. They always took care of me. Uh, I hope it's a huge success. But listen, to put on great shows like that is not free. you got to spend a lot of money. It's, it's, and it's hard to get your money back <coughs> when you're out there trying to introduce what is you know, not a new sport, but in some ways is a new sport. It's hard to do. And so I think, yeah, I think they're probably trying some cost-cutting measures. I don't think that they're trying not to sign those guys, although I don't know to be sure. But it's not a rumor. A lot of guys, their contracts just sort of expired, and they're, uh, they haven't either reached out yet or they plan to. But um, it's not a rumor. It's a fact. Uh, and I definitely feel like Glory's probably going to try, and with, with John Franklin at the helm, you know, maybe tighten up some of the budget a little bit. Uh, not to say that they were, you know, just burning it before, but they were definitely making it. Listen, I always tell people, like, you know, you guys know me, I'm a grappling first kind of guy, but some of those glory shows, they're incredible. Ask anyone who's been to a glory show. Like, no expenses spared. And whether you think that's a good idea or a bad idea, I just mean as a fan, as a consumer, and I'm, no one's paying me to say this. I didn't go to the last one, I won't go to the next one. They're on Fridays, like, I'm not involved. I'm just telling you, seriously, as a fan, the shows are great.
the shows are great. Like they're well produced. The action is is moving. Um, you know, but these things don't come cheap. They don't come easy, and they don't come free. Um, got a long one here. Let's see. Dangerous habits of, excuse me, dangerous training habits of MMA fighters. Luke Ryan Parsons was on the Joe Rogan Experience recently and talked about the dangers of overtraining. He said it's common for trainers to not talk to each other and thus end up overtraining an athlete, right? So for example, if you have X fighter, hey, this is my boxing coach, and that's my strength and conditioning coach, and that's my, um, you know, grappling coach. They aren't communicating, and so as a consequence, they overtrain a guy. He said it's, uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, he went on to say that many strength trainers are particularly bad as they sometimes have a weird ego about having the toughest workout around and never look at the big picture as to why they would put an athlete in any particular workout other than it's difficult. I recently came across a video that shows uh, Cain Velasquez doing a crazy leg extension routine. He's doing 50 reps at 300 pounds. While he is doing this workout, the trainer is talking to him, excuse me, talking to the camera, bragging the average NFL lineman can't do this routine, and then he will get Cain to up to 100 reps. The thing is this video was taped in the summer of 2011, which was four months before his first Junior Dos Santos fight. How is it possible that fighters at the highest levels are getting insanely dumb training? Is it anyone or Kane has knee issues? Uh, that's a great comment and it's a great discussion. Remember I was on this chat before saying we don't really know why guys are getting injured and I, and I firmly believe that. But if someone came to me and said overtraining was the biggest culprit, would anybody be surprised? Would anybody be surprised? This is one reason, I mean, one reason why guys pool costs to train together, why they don't have boxing camps where everything is built around you is for money. They don't have the money to do that. Some do, but many don't. Right? That's uh, Melvin Gillard was on Eric Hawani's MMA Hour, and he said, you know, uh, he and Trevor Whitman had a dispute over how much to pay uh, for, for coaching services. So he left and went to ATT, and at ATT he pays 5%. 5% is what he pays. Um, but everything is in-house. They get all the stuff they need right there. So that's why they do it, is one, to share costs, but also to, sh to make everything logistically easy. Hey, my strength coach is here. And some guys reach out and they go to different places, right? I understand that. Um, but training in mixed martial arts has, we're at a point where everyone is talking about intensity and trying for that end next edge, when really, there's a case to be made that dialing it back is actually what's needed. That um, these this Marinovich push towards innovation is actually uh, a detriment in terms of keeping guys on competitive schedules. Again, it cannot be simply biological co coincidence that guys like Nick and Nate Diaz never get injured. And then guys like Cain Velasquez have all these problems. Guys like Anthony Pettis have all these problems. Maybe in some cases it's because... It was just coincidence. You just had a run of luck. But you know what I'm saying. There are some guys who just cannot stay healthy. And there are other ones that seem to have no problems. And they're all achieving at a very high level. That cannot be coincidence. So to your point, what Kane's doing, and I'm no physical trainer, it seems insane. It seems totally irresponsible. But it's this push to, and a lot of these guys, you know, they don't know any better. And what, what attitude do, do fighters have? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Nothing can stop me. Yes, I can. It's part of the reason why they have trouble retiring when they're supposed to retire. These bumps in the road, the, this fatigue, this 
this, these losses. This is just a product of me not doing enough. It's just a bad spell. I will do more. I will fix this. I can overcome this. Sometimes they can. Sometimes you get your Cinderella Man moments. But a lot of times you get guys who um, have conditioned their brain to trick them into doing things they actually should not or cannot be doing. Uh, and under the guise of somebody who is getting King Velasquez to do things that at least at, at the outset seem dubious in value, um, maybe that has uh, some explanatory value in terms of the wear and tear he's put on his body. The next Ronda. Luke, just when Tough 20 started, Dana White made a claim to the media that there's the next Ronda Rousey in the season, or the next or Anderson Silva, or the next this, or the next that. Do you know who he's referring to? Some believe it's Rose uh, Nama Yunus, but there's no uh, real confirmation. And is it me, or has the season kind of drifted off? Could be the lack of the drama between the two coaches. It's not. I'm not as interested as I was in the first few weeks. It's definitely drifted off. Two problems that I would point to. One, that two-week break they took, I think, absolutely killed momentum for the show for to give space to uh, playoff baseball. It, it hurt the show bad. I don't think there's any way to, to deny that. Two, there is absolutely no, there's barely ever any interaction between the two coaches, much less like rivalry. If you're going to have a reality show where coaches are pulled out of competition because you're trying to sell their fight later on down the road, then you have to make a reality show. And, and you can say, well, Luke, that's fake. Well, that's what a reality show is. There's nothing real about it, or at least very little. It's your design. It's, it's a vehicle used to promote a future event. You know, this is not how you do it. I understand. Listen, I think Fox Sports 1 has, in some ways, really reinvigorated the production of that show. As you guys know, I think the fighting talent on that level is very, very high. I, I've enjoyed it. But I think those two things are, I've heard it bad. I've heard it real bad. We stumble on. Lineker. What do you think is next at Flyweight following the disappointing cancellation of McCall Lineker? Lineker called out the champ. Would you be okay with him getting a shot given his weight issues? I would be. I would be. I'd be hesitant, but you can't keep that. I mean, either you're going to give the guy the fights that he had, deserves from winning, or you're not. You know, I know he had some tough... He's not like undefeated by any stretch, but... Um, What are you going to do? What do you, what do you have in the division for? Just to hang around and beat guys? You have him in there because ostensibly, at some point, if he wins enough, he will merit it. Whether that's at the point we're at, um, you know, maybe, maybe not. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to it if they gave him. I don't think that. Uh, I mean, uh, ideally, I'd like to see the McCall fight made again and have McCall go through with it in a healthy way. But I wouldn't be opposed if they gave it to me just to keep DJ busy. You know, I, it wouldn't bother me too much. Uh, I would favor DJ to win pretty handily, but you get the idea. But this idea, it's like, well, what do we do about his weight issues? I mean, he has to figure this out. And if he doesn't, then he doesn't get those opportunities. And, and he still has to fight Demetrius Johnson and whatever else happens. But you can't just keep a guy from things he may be earning because he has these liabilities. If you are willing to put him in the organization, that means you are willing to deal with it at least up to a certain point. And if you give him one more fight and he misses and you tell him no more, then, then, then cut him loose because why else is he there? He's there to win a title, you know? He'll probably tell you that. Um, but this idea that like, people always say, like, well, what do you do about this issue? What do you do about that issue? These are not limiting factors. You can be worried about it all you want. He's in the organization. 
if he keeps winning, he has a, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go so far as say he has a right to fight the champion, but it certainly seems the ethical outcome. Hey, this guy, look what he's done on a, you know, on a, on a meritocratic basis. We should, we should reward that effort. Um, if he botches it in the end, then he botches it in the end. But you can't deny this guy if, if we all agree there's a certain level of, of achievement he could reach, even if these other issues are hanging over his head, you know. So, I don't know. But you don't deny it to him. You just sort of let him figure it out. Or maybe you hire Mike Dolce or something. I don't know. Uh, Metamoris. Rogan versus Smith. I'd love to see Joe Rogan versus Jimmy Smith at a future Metamoris event. How would you like to see them compete against each other? Or, excuse me, would you? Um, I don't know. I've, I mean, uh, I've never seen them roll recently. I know Rogan has a black belt under Eddie Bravo probably do a lot of rubber guard stuff that maybe Jimmy doesn't have quite the level of expertise in. I don't I don't know. Without seeing these guys roll, I I'm hesitant to offer any real opinion. Uh, greatest resurgence and why? Mark Hunt's path from UFC wanting to pay him to end his contract to interim title shot. Matt Brown going from multiple losses to one of the most vicious streaks in recent years. Robbie Lawler's mixed results in strike force to UFC contender. Dominic Cruz coming back from the worst string of bad luck ever to publicly execute Mizugaki. Um, the two I would eliminate right away are Cruz and Lawler. Lawler had a lot of hype coming in and maybe a fall on hard times, but at some point had already tasted being a really elite kind of guy. Um, Cruz as well was the champion, so I eliminate them right away. Hunt had success, obviously, in kickboxing, but was really not necessarily a world beater at all in pride. Um, and, you know, has done what he's done, which is sort of tough through really bad spots and sort of come out to be a really formidable challenge for the heavyweight division. A, a bit of a basic game plan. I say basic with quotes because it's not easy to beat, but it's not super complicated. You know, you're not worrying about whether he's going to jump guillotine on you. You're worried about whether he's going to knock you out. That's pretty much about it. Um, Matt Brown is also a bit of a different case. Because Matt Brown was never an elite guy, and then slowly, slowly, slowly maximized himself into one. I think actually that the uniting bond between Mark Hunt and Matt Brown is that, and Kenny Florian too. I always bring up Kenny Florian this way because Kenny Florian had a lot of struggles too. I mean, he wound up turning it around pretty quickly, so you don't really think about it that way. But um, what I would say is there are certain guys, man. And sometimes they get injured doing it, to your point that someone asked about earlier. But there are certain guys in this sport who they may not wear titles. And, and, and interestingly, Brown's never had one, and MMA Hunt's never had one, a meaningful one anyway. And certainly Florian never captured that UFC gold. But they really, to me, get my utmost respect because these guys just won't stop working on their craft. They just get better, man. They just get better. And some of these guys go, I'm going to get better in the gym. And... And they kind of have the same level of skill sort of throughout the, their career towards the end. And that could be a very high skill, and they might do pretty well. But there are very few guys where you're like, wow, this dude really, when he rang the sponge, he got every last drip of water out of it. I have an unbelievable amount of respect because those are the guys, you know they worked harder than everybody else. And you know that they had ridiculous doubt about where it was going to go. And you know that they kept training almost in an irrational way because they didn't, in the case of Brown and Hunt, have these tremendous win streaks. 
and in the case of Florian, had lost at these pivotal moments over and over again. You know, beating a lot of guys, yes, but couldn't quite get over that hump, you know? And never gave up and never stopped trying to get good and never stopped exploring their options. And eventually that they hit a bump in the road or, in, in Florian's case, the end of the road. But you really, man, there is something about a guy. Yes, it's great that you know Anderson Silva is as great as he is, you know? And he, don't get me wrong, that guy's worked hard too, or Chris Weidman, or Cain Velasquez, you know? But a little bit of that with those guys is it kind of came easy to them. Not easy like, hey, I, you know, hey, I woke up and I stretched this morning. I know Kung Fu, like it's the Matrix or something. I don't mean that. But I just mean the game comes to some people real naturally. John Jones, the game came to him really naturally. John Jones did not have to put in the work to get as good as he has that, that Kenny Florian did. It's just not true. It's just not true. Um, which doesn't mean I don't want to demean what John Jones has done. I hope everyone understands that. What John Jones had to do to get good was also very, very difficult. And it came with a lot of sacrifice and hard work and injuries and everything else. But I bet you that to get his wrestling the way he wanted to, Kenny Florian, it took him a lot longer. And it took a lot of... Dude, like, you don't get good at something if you're not naturally good at it without failing over and over and over again. Part of being good is being awful. It's being so bad and swallowing it and just driving forward into the into the into the fire, man, and just getting lit up over and over and over again. You know, and any good athlete in any sport will tell you that they've had those moments. It's just not possible. But some have had it more than others, man. Some have had it more than others. And yes, you know, Florian was always pretty good at submissions. You know, that may have come to him a little bit better and you know, striking, things like that may have come better to him, but I just mean the way in which he put, I always had so much respect for him, man, because I know that he had to get in there and just grind. And there were days he must have been like, what am I doing? What am I doing? How was am I, how am I going to be able to do this? And he just eventually probably told himself, yes, you can, yes, you can, yes, you can, yes, you can. And it worked. And a lot of times it doesn't. And it worked for those guys. And I have just, I have unbelievable respect for guys like Mark Hunt who do that. And, and guys like Matt Brown who do that, and guys like uh, Kenny Florian. Again, Mark Hunt had the kickboxing background, but he's worked on his takedown defense pretty damn steadily, man. And even his cardio's gotten a little bit better too, you know. Um, I, I, you know, I can't say enough good things about those guys. And everyone gets mad at me because I clown the rally for Mark Hunt. It wasn't about Mark Hunt as much as it was just a dumbass hashtag activism thing that I just think is silly. But in truth, guys like Matt Brown and guys like Mark Hunt on the, you know, outside the striking stuff. Guys like Kenny Florian, they have. They, you want to talk about some of my favorite fighters to watch for those reasons? It's those reasons. Guys who, who, who never had it easy. Who, and especially guys like Matt Brown, who no one ever gave a thing to. Man, you had to go out there and take it after being, you know, unbelievable punishment and and bad days and injuries and. Horrible feeling about yourself. He he gutted through it, and I have just, I can't say enough good things. All right, Luke. Although this week's UFC Mexico card has sold out, with the headliner Cain Velasquez, the original driving force behind the card, who has since been injured and forced out, has this hampered UFC's foray into the country for possible future events? Dana White, leading up to the bout, has said that Cain was the meal ticket in Mexico. It seems pretty obvious the UFC was banking on Cain to be the face. Do you think his injury has hurt those chances? I would say the following. I would say that it didn't make the coming out party what it could have been, but I wouldn't worry too much. 
as I stated before, it's not going to be Brazil. Everyone thinks, oh, it's going to be just like Brazil. It's not going to be Brazil. There's just not enough ingredients there. You saw that fight uh, on the Brazil card between the Mexican finalist and the Chilean finalist. Um, it, it, it ain't, it ain't going to be Brazil. But it can be very good. And to the point is, the Mexico scene is developing as we speak. There are at least enough guys to you know, put a UFC show together. We'll see what kind of quality we get in the end on Saturday. But um, you can do shows there, I guess is my point. Maybe intermittently, but you can do them. Velasquez at some point will get healthy again. And more importantly, I think the key consideration there is that television deal that they have. Right? They have the kind of um, infrastructure, as it were, to then build out. Um, there's a lot of countries where they may not have that same kind of opportunity. So for me, while this wasn't the Kool-Aid man busting through the door saying, oh yeah, you know, and then offering Kool-Aid to all the kids, and it's everyone smiling and giving thumbs up with their, with their red teeth, it was it'll still be a successful event, and there's opportunity to build. And I think that should be the way going forward. Y'all keep thinking I'm negative Nancy. I'm actually pretty high on Mexico. I just don't want to go to a point where we're like, oh, Mexico's going to blow up like Brazil. Mm. It's not. At least not anytime soon. But it can be, and probably will be, very successful. Uh, Luke, Vandalay Silva bashes the UFC on fighter pay, then runs to promote Bellator, who pays a penny on the dollar. Is this not hypocrisy on Vandalay Silva's part? Um, I, I don't see how that is. And again, I mentioned it before. Oh, Viacom's got $40 billion. Okay, how much of them do you want to waste on Bellator? before Bellator is self-sufficient in making money. And that's a complicated debate you can have about how much you invest before you can actually, you know, you got to spend money to make money kind of thing, right? Do we do we invest this much and eat this much loss, or do we invest even more, and yes, we'll have even more losses up front, but that's sort of the key impetus, the catalyst, to then eventually draw revenue. That's a complicated debate. But the point being is the following. They don't make a lot of money. Bellator as an entity does not generate a lot of income, and they don't want to spend a whole lot more than it's already generating. They don't want to eat those kinds of losses without some kind of strategy in mind and some kind of goal in mind. Moreover, a lot of those guys you're seeing who got paid very little, that probably happened to a significant degree under the Bjorn Revenue era. Let's see what Scott Coker, a much more fan-friendly kind of guy, does. Uh, I don't expect the regional guys who fill up the undercard to sell tickets at the gate to necessarily be compensated to a huge extent, but Bellator doesn't, as its own operating entity, make a lot of money to pay those guys. The debate over pay should be in the organization that has 90% of the market share, not the one that has 10. Not that we should absolve them from any kind of blame, but that's the real debate. right? The real debate is where the real money is. Follow the money. No one complains that ML guys, I mean, oh, I, guess, I guess some complain that guys in the MLS don't make money. But imagine if there was a debate over whether guys in uh, you know, English Premier League you know, or, or grossly underpaid. I mean, I'm sure some feel like they are. To Dana White's point, everyone wants a raise. I, I don't say that it, this happens lightly, but um, you don't quite hear all the same rumblings that guys in, 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 in English Premier League are, you know, uh, somehow improperly compensated across the board. Uh, I've been to the John Lineker thing. Let's do some true-false. Gustafson is overrated. Well, it depends on how you rate him, but based on what I've seen generally in the field, no, I would say he is definitely not overrated. He is a very good fighter. If Mark Hunt wins at UFC 180, it will be you know, by way of knockout, LSA, or TKO. True. 
Brazil would win at most weight classes if MMA was an Olympic sport. Um, they win at some, but I'd say false. I mean, how many weight classes would you have, too? Just the existing ones? The return of Dominic Cruz will significantly raise the level of interest in bantamweights. I would say true to an extent. Don Cerrone mops the floor with Miles Jury. I'm, I have not decided. The jury's still out. Uh, Travis Brown versus Brendan Schaub will end up with the number one contender fight. No, false. Heavyweight is a division with the least amount of depth, followed by women's bantamweight. Uh, maybe. Demetrius Johnson's dominance and win streak will eventually make him somewhat of a draw, similar to Jose Aldo. False. Boxing in Mexico will die as MMA rises. That is definitely false. Bermudez finishes Lamas. False. Gastelum beats Ellenberger. Might be true. Uriah Hall never fights for the title. True. Dana White is the funniest character on the Tommy Toho show. Pretty good. <coughs> um, so Shogun Hua has officially moved from top 10 light heavyweight to living metaphor for the fleetingness of youth, right? It is true. Let's say John Jones loses to Cormier. Jones has accomplished more with 27 years than Anderson and George had. People say he is on the way to becoming the greatest of all time. Would a win here be bigger for Cormier than it was for Wyvin to beat Anderson, given the fact that 38-year-old Anderson was not in his prime and that Cormier is eight years older than Jones? Um, it's a difficult question. I think that Cormier is like the opponent of Jones's career. And I know everyone thinks that was sort of Gustafson. I don't. Um, that's a difficult question to answer. I would say that the win would be a little bit bigger. I mean, Anderson had that incredible resume, you know, and why I've been beating him was so difficult to understand. And we've seen, you know, we saw Anderson touched up too before that. But um, yeah, for Cormier to beat Jones, I think would be, you know, Jones doesn't have quite the resume, and so it won't feel the same way. But you can certainly make a case that if Cormier beat Jones, is that better than Weidman beating Anderson Silva, given where Silva was in his career at the time, and given where Jones is? That's a very, that's a great question, and that's honestly, I, I could, I could conceive of a case where you could make that argument. Yes. Again, it won't be as momentous because it's not this dramatic shift from greatest ever at 38 to having lost a title. Um, but I know what you're asking, and it's a really important question. Someone only gave this one rec, but I want to respond to it because it's important. Uh, why small fighters aren't as popular. I feel you missed the point with this whenever addressing it. When MMA first formed, it was marketed as who, hit, who is the hardest on the planet than a real sport. The lightweights have only come into the sport in recent years because of this. Thus, they have no legends to slay. How famous would Jones be? If he wasn't for Shogun, Rampage, Machida, Belfort, Sonnen, and all these legends were made before the lightweights even had a legitimate platform to perform. Under these circumstances, it is nearly impossible for DJ to be as popular as Jones, Weidman, Kane in the next few years. It has very little to do with size or personality. Poor bastard DJ is. His personality gets questioned every time his name is mentioned. He seems like a cooler guy than Jones or Kane. Well, maybe to you. I will, I will grant you that what you're saying is partly true, that... Um, part of the reason why Weidman is popular is that he has beaten Anderson Silva and that he has beaten Leota Machida. If you beat names, 
you transfer some of their power over to them. That's why the game is so brutal, right? Because you come into the game roaring and you leave being eaten by a younger lion. It's just how it goes. But they want to do that. They want to give you that so they can take whatever star power someone has at the end of their career. Because remember, allegiances to fighters dies hard. And they want to transfer that over to the new guy. So there's partly what you're saying is true. But if that were true, what happened with Frankie Edgar, right? Popular fighter, credit to combat athletes everywhere. He beat BJ Penn, who was a no BS star, a legend in the sport. It didn't really work when he beat him twice. Frankly, well, I should say three times. I'm sorry. Uh, first time I thought BJ should have won, but you get the idea. Close fight, and then he roundly in the second, and it was just ugly in the third. Didn't help his fight. He can't sell pay-per-views above 300000 by himself. Not at all. And BJ was selling upwards of 700000 Right? This idea that, well, he has no one to beat to take his name. Um, who has Conor McGregor beaten to, take, to make a name? No star. No star. Uh, Dustin Poirier, an important fight, but Dustin Poirier, again, couldn't headline a pay-per-view on his own. So, yes, beating those guys is helpful, but some guys... Uh, are able to do it without it. And also, to my point, if you think that the size has nothing to do with their popularity, you're, um, you're, just plainly mis you're just plainly mistaken. I don't know how else to say it. It absolutely is an impediment. Whether it should be, to you or to me, is an entirely different question about whether the larger fan base, which is predominantly casual, agrees that it is, or even part of the hardcore fan base. There absolutely is a bias against those guys Maybe not a tremendous bias, a bias where they can't, oh, I can't even watch Demetrius Johnson. No one says that. No one says that. But they fundamentally have a hard time with the idea that in a sport where we are showcasing hyper-masculinity and regulated violence and, you know, the ability to break someone's will, there is something of an innate bias in some people about the idea of smaller men doing that. They can overcome that. We've seen it. There's evidence for it. But there's a reason why... You know, um, heavyweights have less of a time convincing people of their of their might. Uh, if Eddie Alvarez loses two in a row, will the UFC cut him? No. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Twitter here, shall we? What's next for Bisping? It's a good question. Um, who should be next for Bisping? That's a great question. I haven't thought about that at all, man. There's got to be somebody for him, though. Let's go check it out, shall we? Oh, I'm pulling this up. I know this is a, a big detour, and it, the silence kills you when I don't talk, but... What can I do? Uh, let's see. Yeah, there's guys out there, man. The loser of Machida Dalloway. Um, I think Boach has a fight. There's Tavares out there. Talos Lightis is out there. There's guys for him. There's guys for him. Anybody, anybody between 10 and 15, I would say, is sort of what you're looking at. Should the UFC implement biological passport, ABP, indirectly revealing the effects of doping? They had the money for it. What's it going to take for you to shave your beard? Um, a billion dollars. What do you think about OSP versus Costas Philippou? Love it. Um, great striking battle. Different kind of striking battle, but a great one. 
Someone says the stream is lagging a lot today. Nothing I can do about that. UFC promotes the beauty of women fighters. Why doesn't Invicta do the same? Well, in a sense that they are, they're showcasing women at the front um, who have a certain sort of look. But to answer your question, I, I always, did you guys not watch MMA Beat, man? I talk about this all the time. Invicta is in the business of trying to sell you women's MMA as they would like women's MMA to be accepted, which is on its own terms. And whether or not that's financially profitable, you can have a debate about. I personally feel like it's not, at least not in the current state of things. And that sucks, and I don't like it. I'm not happy about that fact, but I think it's a fact. I just don't think women's MMA, as women's MMA's fans, hardcore fans, acolytes, want to present it is commercially viable. And any kind of number of reasons for that, regret regrettable or otherwise. Um, but that's what they're trying to do, and there's a value in doing that. So maybe there's a value in doing the way they do otherwise, which is showing off their beauty and overly marketing it. I know it upsets a lot of people too. They can upset them, but they can't deny it. It hasn't, doesn't have a ton of value. But but Invicta, that's why I just why I just want UFC to buy out Invicta and then leave it alone. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, the, the analogy doesn't work, but I sort of want it to be like China's Taiwan. You know, that's a much. That, 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 I know that example doesn't work for any kind of number of reasons. One thing's are independent, one thing's are not, and they just sort of let it go and. But I guess I just mean like having something over here that is obviously related, that is obviously connected, has a shared history, a shared relationship in many ways, um, but they kind of do their own thing. And you know, and in the case of Invicta and UFC, to just take away some of those financial strains, it'd be another financial burden for the UFC. And maybe they're not in the business of doing that right now. But there's to have the women's divisions that you want to showcase in the UFC, somebody has to do the grunt work of making, of keeping the show lights on, of keeping the shows moving. And if you want to sell women's MMA as it's intended to be sold on its own terms, you're going to have problems filling the seats, I think. Especially if you're just strip mining all their talent out all the time, you know? So, um, it's a problem, man. It's a problem. Who takes it, Romero or Jacare? I'm going to say Jacare, but it's a tough one, man. It's a tough one. Is middleweight the most stacked division with Hendo moving down to fight Musasi at UFC on Fox 14? It's getting up there. And let me say to Tim Kennedy's tweet, people saying, oh, well, Shogun should move down to 185. And Tim Kennedy being like, tell him that's a bad idea, bro, because it's filled with sharks down here. and He's going to get chewed up. That is not a point I, I ignore. He's got, a, he's got a great point. For many years, middleweight was this really sort of no man's land of guys who couldn't hack it at welterweight and or middle or light heavyweight and weren't that great and had obvious flaws and really sort of these marks on the record of achievements that were huge blemishes. Um, and now that's not the case. Now the division is sort of like forthrightly coming to its own and it's it's not to be ignored or, or slept on. Looking at January, would you say it could very well be the greatest month in MMA history? It is shaping up to be that way. It is shaping up to be that way. Two great pay-per-views and then two great live shows on Fox Sports and Fox. It is, knock on wood, you know, it's getting there. What happens with Nick Diaz if he beats Anderson Silva? I bet they fast-track him to a title shot in either weight class. All right. What's the impact both on Mexico and Brazil if Verdum beats Hunt, becomes interweight champion and fights Kane next year? 
Good for Brazil. I don't think it changes Mexico in any real capacity, except you have another guy who can do Spanish media and promotion down there, which, while valuable, is not the end of the world or the beginning of it. Um, I put out an article uh, on the Vanderlei thing that I wanted to talk about. It's a short little nugget I have. Uh, it got published on MMA Fighting. Do you, do you want to know the story behind that? Some sources I, I spoke to today told me that the real reason what happened was that management for Vanderlei Silva had assured Bellator that he could uh, do that. He could, he could actually go through with what they had asked him to do promotionally. Um, and that they announced it without actually sort of pouring over enough of the details of his contract. So then eventually UFC was like, um, you can't do that. And they had to stop. But the real reason is they just didn't thoroughly look at the contract enough. That's it. Which they should have. <laughs> I mean, there's really no excuse otherwise. But it sounds like they don't want any, uh, they don't want to tangle with the UFC. So there's that. Luke, how insane am I if I think Bellator 131 card is better than the UFC 180 card? You're pretty insane. Uh, there's some great fights on every card this week, but... Uh, and, and listen, we're going to see about this experiment, about the one thing a month, these tentpole events, these Saturday events, using these old names that still have value in that Spike TV ecosystem and universe. We're going to see how well it works. I suspect it will have some value, but... Um, but if you're just asking which card has the most value with the best MMA, again, I'm not overly amazed by the prelim card for the UFC event, but it's gonna be you're gonna be hard denying that that pay-per-view card, or at least that UFC 180 card. It it, it is better, you know. Uh, someone asked, what's more tragic KO, Dylan Andrews falling on his head or the Shogun KO? I guess again, it, it depends how you define tragic. Is it tragic that we have this hero in Shogun who with this? first ballot Hall of Famer who is going out in such ignoble, quick ways to, you know, guys who just don't have the same kind of name value or fan appreciation. Is that tragic? Or is it more tragic that the guy sort of executed poorly a technique and caused him to lose the bout in the worst way imaginable, or at least one of the worst ways imaginable? Um, they're both pretty tragic. Depends how you define tragedy. But if I'm, def like, if I'm just thinking about which one was more avoidable, it was the Dylan... Dylan Andrews won. He, I mean, once the guy wrapped the leg, should have let it go, man. You have to get him up and then create separation to get to get the real uh, suplex or the, even the pickup and the drop down. And they hooked the inside leg. You can't, you can't do it. So he just fell backwards. It was, you know, this is what I'm talking about though. Like um, that card that had 11 finishes. Don't get me wrong. Who didn't have a lot of fun watching that? But I hope folks also understand that. Um, you know, in the end, it didn't matter because the card itself wound up working out so fortuitously for fans. But I don't get that excited from finishes that happen by accident. I get much more excited by finishes that happen because somebody put it on someone else. And I'll give you a perfect example. The uh, the last Ultimate Fighter, Rose Namajunas, she fought the uh, Australian girl, whose name I cannot remember now for the life of me. But... Um, if you watch the fight, Rose's opponent actually had really good defense the whole time. What made the win by Rose so spectacular was how she, I won't say it was, it didn't happen like super slowly, but how she methodically broke down all the defenses. It's one thing if you go in there and just bang out someone who's got really bad defense and they get knocked out and they do the stanky leg, the DJ Unk walk it out, Hollis Gracie thing. 
and that's all fun and well, and we all clap and make gifts. But if you're really looking for like what is sublime talent, is when Rose went in there and in all phases of the game, and take down defense and take down offense and striking. In distance and striking in close in grappling on I mean and everything and everything broke her down and just and completely found ways around an opponent who had very credible defense that to me is infinitely more impressive or interesting than some dude poorly executing a throw landing on his own head accidentally and knocking himself out even though he gets bodied you know uh, right thereafter that that to me is not as not as fun um, maybe you have different interests but that's the kind of thing I always try to talk about. It's like, it's like let's, let's follow where people are the best at this. Let's not. I mean, it's fun to have the guys who have the weird knockouts and the and the and the you know the calamity and the Keystone Cop vibe going on in their fights. But it's at the end of the day that is not that fulfilling. What is fulfilling truly and what 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 really drags you into this sport is watching someone very good at it, very good at it. And watching what Rose did on that last Ultimate Fighter was very impressive. Luke, uh, Ben Henderson versus Eddie Alvarez. Here you got a guy who's talked about moving to 170 pounds versus a guy who many people say should drop to 145. Is it just me or is the UFC trying to get Eddie killed? Um, you wanted to come to the UFC. <laughs> Right? This is what you get. This is who you're going to fight. You want to fight for a title, you got to beat guys like Ben Henderson, right? Sort of like a prerequisite almost. Until he jumps to 170, he's like, I don't know, I can't ever go and say I called him a gatekeeper. I'm not calling him a gatekeeper. But in the sense that it's hard to imagine getting a title shot without beating him first. Either, either because he's holding it or because he's the next guy down. You know, so like Dos Anjos, um, maybe he's got some other, you know, challenges ahead of him before he, he ever gets a title shot. But... You can see now that he has primed himself for one by beating Ben Henderson. So, you know, either Alvarez is going to beat again. It's the same thing with Lineker. Oh, what about his weight issues? What about him? What about him? You're going to keep a guy in limbo forever? You're going to give Alvarez guys he can just beat over all over the place? I understand sometimes you got to massage a guy's career at particular stages, Conor McGregor. Uh, but eventually, man, you got to feel the fire, and you either walk through it or you get burned. It's that's really how it goes. Um, let's see. How do you feel about the lack of Mexicans on a card in Mexico? Um, if you're comparing it to what a card is like in Brazil, you should be disappointed. This is my point. Brazil is infinitely more developed as an MMA economy and hub than Mexico. Like by an order of magnitude. You could, again, you could have a card, if the UFC wants to, they could go to Brazil and have nothing but Brazilians on the card and have good fighters on them, too. They could do a nine-fight card with killer, 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 all, all the way up and be all Brazilians. You could not do that. You couldn't do five fights like that. You can do three fights like that in Mexico right now, but at the UFC level. It makes a big difference. Cage grabbing at the UFC Shogun versus OSP card in Brazil. Luke, it was ridiculous. So how do you let it continue without any penalty? So now we got no immediate penalties for cage grabbing, eye poking, and kicking the groin area. Again, it's um, it's um, 
it's 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 different commissions with different refs and different rules. Uh, was that one guy Cardozo, the one who was doing like the the, the buffed up referee, the Ed Hockley of referees over in Brazil? He's going to have independent ways of looking at it. Jaron Valal is going to have independent ways of looking at it. Steve Mazzagatti is going to have independent ways of looking at it. The problem is there's just not a consistent standard. There's a lot left to interpretation, and once you do that. It's out the window, man. I'm not sure. I mean, it's not that you're not right for having some frustrated moments. It's not that there's not a case to be made that there should be some kind of baseline rules established. It's that we're, we live in a predicament where we leave some measure of discretion to referees. And this idea that all referees all think the same, same about all circumstances is simply not true. They have a variety of opinions on a variety of different uh, uh, moments. And you're seeing that play out, you know. It's, that's, that's the case. I think all folks always say, oh, this is... Folks are always looking for like the Mike Pereira to come down. Pereira is this guy who, who on um, Fox is this rules authority. I won't get too complicated. He's like a rules authority. And so whenever there's a play and the question is like, did the guy have control? Um, are his feet in bounds? And looking at replays and was there indisputable evidence? They get Mike Pereira to come on these broadcasts and he's like, okay, here's what the ruling should be. And uh, it's sort of taken as gospel. Like his interpretation is the most correct one. But these situations are much more fluid. They don't have the benefit of replay and what you're talking about. Fence grabbing, I agree, seems like one of those egregious things where it's like you can see it, you can tell how it impacts the takedown attempt, and so there should be some much more robust enforcement. I can follow you there, but if you take a step back and you ask yourself, okay, well, why is this happening where we're not doing a whole lot about it? We're leaving it to discretion, and we're, I think we also have is a situation where referees, I think they have some genuine sympathy for fighters. They don't want to penalize them. Like, it's not whether they do or they don't, or they're just sort of, I'm neutral on it. I think they're not neutral on it. I think they're actually in this position where they're saying, I do not want to penalize this guy. Please do not make me penalize you. And so they're much more reluctant to hand that out because they know once they do, you know, if you lose, um, if you lose a round 10-8 or even a round 10-7 or even a round 9-9 that you should have won, it can have a dramatic impact on how the fight is eventually scored, and they don't want to play that role. They don't want to be the guy that, you know, ultimately did that. And so they have this hands-off approach. Others are just incompetent. So that's the problem that you're sort of seeing here. It's guys who either don't know what they're doing or guys who are just maybe well-intentioned to a fault, and they have this measure of discretion they're allowed to use that enables them. Yeah, Dan Henderson versus Gagard Musasi is going to be the co-main event at UFC on Fox 14, which is the one that's going to be headlined by um, Gustafsson versus Rumble in Sweden. It's going to be a hell of a card, and it's going to be on free TV. And by the way, I have no way of knowing this, but already the Fox brands in 2015, again, this it's one month. It's one month. I'm not trying to make a huge declaration. But it seems like UFC is really trying to give them some nice cards, man. You're putting Conor McGregor on a card. You're going to a stadium in, in Sweden with Alexander Gustafsson and Rumble on a card. You know, Dan Henderson on a card. You're giving Fox, man, some great shows. So, um, you know, we'll see if that continues. But it definitely sort of caught my eye. I was like, they're, they're making, like, not that they're just phoning it in all the time. But, you know, if they were good before, they're really going above, right? So that's about run the jewels. Could I take Demetrius Johnson in an arm wrestling match? Maybe. I bet the dude is ridiculously strong. Do you think Scott Coker will ever have the openly combative relationship with the UFC and Dana that Bjorn used to have? Absolutely not. 
Strike Force is any kind of blueprint. Um, if Strike Force is any kind of blueprint, he will be avowedly non-confrontational. Do you think there's anything that Scott would do to force Dana to start slagging him off the way Dana used to batter Bjorn? Sure, I'm sure they will. I'm sure that he'll insult them uh, given any opportunity that it arises. Maybe with this Vanderlei thing. We'll see what happens at any kind of scrum in, in, in uh, Mexico. Bellator should have checked that contract. I mean, there's no two ways about it. And I'm sure he's going to say the same thing if asked about it. So it says, UFC is a promoter. The point of holding Vanderlei is to protect the value that they've invested in promoting Vanderlei from benefiting another organization. He has nothing to... It has nothing to do with Vandalay saying bad things about the UFC. Why would you want to hold on to something you can't use? And, more to the point, why would you not allow him to make the money he can make doing other things for a non-competitor? You're saying, well, you're adopting the position that the UFC is adopting. And I'm asking you, let's step outside of that for a moment. I understand why UFC might want to do it. I'm not saying they're doing it without cause. I, they have a cause. They don't want Bellator to benefit. What I'm asking you to do is stop taking the UFC side automatically. Step outside of that and ask whether or not the UFC side is the only side here. Is there a side to Vanderlei maybe saying, um, I can't fight because it's my fault, but the commission handled that. I'm basically retired, and now I can't go and make money in other ways and continue my career in other ways simply because you wish to deny them value. That doesn't just deny them value, it directly affects me, and I am of no use to you. I'm, I'm somewhat, I'm not entirely sympathetic to it, I'm a little sympathetic to it. Uh, let's see. Thoughts of this main event between Henderson and Musasi. Henderson's a little bit old and beat up to me. Musashi's takedown defense is problematic, but his chin is good. I think that he has more ways to win, although I'm not sure how he's recovered from those two knee, knee, knee surgeries, so he's not that great of a spring chicken either. But he does have more ways to win. He's defensively minded, and actually, I just think Dan's, you know, doesn't have quite the same cardio, and he is up, up there in age, especially without TRT, um, even at middleweight. Do I trim my beard or do I get a barber to do it? I haven't trimmed my beard in like a long time, man. Uh, I need to. Um, uh, I, I do it myself. Uh, tournament. Hold on. Don't come in. Don't come in. Uh, thoughts on UFC differentiating their product quality. Could you imagine any potential way that Zufi could differentiate their UFC products so that the current number of cards per year might be more palatable for you personally? Yeah, just do a lot fewer of them. No, I mean they have some. They, listen, they have certain obligations they have to uphold, and to that point, we had to have to live with it a little bit. But um, right, they owe Fox a certain amount for an FS1 and on Big Fox, and they owe a certain amount on pay-per-view. But if they could sort of parry that down a little bit, maybe make the cards themselves smaller instead of 12 or 11 fights, have it a little bit smaller. I think that would would significantly improve things. All right, it is 2:30. I have to go. I want to thank everyone for watching. I want to ask you if you're watching this to please share it again on social media. Give the video a thumbs up. Uh, Luke Thomas is Pissed episode 2 comes out on Friday. Uh, thank you for everyone for all the kind words and for sharing it. I really appreciate it. Please share that once it comes out. You can email me luke.thomas at sbnation.com and um, you can follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. 
and we are on Stitcher. Subscribe. Everyone keeps being surprised that there's no podcast for this. There's a podcast for this. Until next time, stay frosty.